Welcome to the Roots of the Spirit podcast. I'm your host, Spirit Taufik. I'm a social justice passionista and daughter of the civil rights movement. This podcast is my commitment to serve as an intergenerational bridge and galvanize change by having honest conversations about identity, the social construct of race, racism, and social justice. Welcome to Roots of the Spirit. Welcome to the Roots of the Spirit podcast. I'm pleased to be back with you after a hiatus. Well, I wouldn't really call it a hiatus, more like a forced hiatus, just due to overwhelm for a variety of different reasons. And to help me kind of get back in my groove and engage in conversations around the topic of race and racism, I have a very special guest, Hisham Tafik who is a retired firefighter from the FDNY, who retired after 20 plus years. He's also a Marine, and he's currently an actor among many, many other talents, gifts, and skills. He's an actor on the NBC hit show, The Blacklist, with the amazing character Dembe. And most importantly, he's my husband. Isn't that the most important part? Yes, it is. Extra points, extra points. Anyways, we are in a perpetual conversation about current events, racism, politics, and I just love having these conversations with you, and I just feel so comfortable talking to you, and I thought, what better person to help me get back in the groove? I just haven't had time to do my podcast, and the reason why is because This country is in the midst of a reckoning with recognizing racial injustice. And as somebody who's an anti-racism educator, my plate is overfloweth. I've had really awesome opportunities to expand my Roots of the Spirit organization as a result of this reckoning, but it's been insane. Like, I just can't even describe how insane it's been. But my podcast is my love, and so I really want to get back out there. And as my sister Star said, it keeps her grounded. That touched me a lot. And I know I have listeners around the globe. I'm so honored and touched. You know that. It's just, it's it's really important to me. So thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. So in light of what I just described, like being overwhelmed, there's also another element, which is our mental health. My mental health has suffered greatly, and I'm sure that's... Uh, consensus across the board you know with covid with the election coming up with racism all of these elements they're just like so intense right now and i just want to check in with you because a couple episodes ago i had you as a guest and the topic of conversation was black men and mental health so i just want to check in on that note how is your mental health with everything going on um i think for the most part you know, I think when it comes to mental health, it's like you very rarely is it like balance. It's either up or down and you're fighting to either balance it, balance it. So I think now is just it's just a daily struggle and fight to be balanced. Can you describe that a little more? Like what are the things that are like plaguing your mind and spirit and you know what I mean in this time what is it I mean it's a lot of things I mean it's kind of overwhelming it's it's just it's just so much uh part of it is confirmation that all along how deeply evil this country 
is and was is validated by this clown as president right now. And I think before everyone believed it, when you're just fighting the battle of your own, well, not say not your own, but, you know, I, I think the last 40 years, a lot of people didn't think it was this bad. And black folks who have experienced it being this bad were usually the <laughs> minority in that belief. And now with everything coming to surface with this guy in office, now that black people all the experience are now being validated and not brushed off as no, that didn't happen to you. I mean, there is some comfort in that, but also it's like, even when everybody didn't believe it, okay, you could forget about it at times and going on with your day. But now it's like, there's not one day you don't wake up where it's front, front page, front stage, where now you're just... I don't know, it's, it's a very weird dynamic to describe where before it all came to the surface, you can get away and go throughout the day without discussing racism. But now it's like everyone is speaking about it every day. And it is a trauma that usually black people experience. So if there's a day that they might not want to experience it because they want to enjoy a kid's birthday or walk in a park or ride your bike, like you, you can't escape it for even a day now every day is overwhelmed with the injustice that was committed against black people just to go back to when you were speaking at the beginning you know i think it's important for listeners to understand that black people brown people other people of color this is a lived experience so the awakening is not on our part the awakening is white people coming to understand what this country has done and how deep and insidious racism is. Well, it's also a mind fuck because some black people started to believe that they were just angry for no reason. And maybe they had an attitude and that's why the cop gave them a ticket or pulled them over. Well, Part I'm, of the awakening could be some black people who had started to buy into the belief that they were the problem. Well, I'll push back and not necessarily push back, but I'll offer another alternative is the way that racism moves, permeates us. It manifests itself in, you know, a systemic sense, but it also, it's internalized. It's not just internalized by white people, but it's also internalized by black people, by everyone. We internalize this, like we talked about before, I believe on a, on a previous episode. It's like we all are breathing the fog and how is that influencing us? And the narrative is, the narrative in this country from day one has been that people are the reason for their own problems. And so if you're being told that each and every day and you're being fed that through various um, powerful mechanisms like the media, like television, movies, billboards every day you wake up you get on the train and you see post i mean your entire life is just permeated with these messages how could you not think in certain ways so i'm just giving this as an example not specifically to what you're saying but i think it's important but to go to to that point you have spoken about just your own experience and just the crazy making gaslighting uh manipulative sick nature of racism yeah and i'm just curious if you want to speak to that in your own experience 
Um, it's like, where do you begin? Yeah, but. it's just that the rabbit hole is super deep. Like, it. I mean, it's just it's actually too overwhelming to talk about because I think I mean for me the rage is just growing. I, I when I look back, I'm like, I thought I was mad at 21. Right now at 50, I'm like exploding, but not with the physical outbursts that I had at 21. Now it's more mental. Now it's more, it's hard to explain. It's a different type of rage. I never thought it would grow, but um, it has grown. But there's also some comfort in just pulling the curtain back and, and letting the light like just shine on the ugly truths that black people were convinced to believe that we were looking at just false images or something it's just you know it's i've i'm having to reconcile that in my mind because you know a lot of conversations of course the conversation of race and racism comes to me like 1200 times a day and it's almost like i can't turn it off because you know people want to talk to me about that because that's the work i do uh which is fine but in my experience i'd say at least 50% of the time when I'm speaking to white people about it, they're like looking at it like, oh, well, aren't you glad that now we're talking about it? And like, yes, I'm glad, of course, that the conversation is on the table, but I am still dealing with the rage that it had to, to get to this for it to be on the table, for our voices to be heard, for our experiences to be um, looked at as truth and valid. Yeah, but then there's also a rage of it got to this point, but you still have a large, overwhelmingly group of folks who don't still believe it. I know. Yeah, I know. And even if they do believe it, they don't believe things should be put in place to make up for the atrocities. Yeah. So do you really believe it? Believe what? I'm just, I'm saying, like, you can you can believe you've wronged... Oh, you're saying, like, it's kind of like, oh, an apology means change behavior. Well, it's almost like if you... Okay, it, it's, you know, it's almost like, you know, people steal things, right? You know, they'll steal a TV, they'll steal a car, they'll steal a camera, and you buy it, right? Mm -hmm. And then... You found, you out, found it's out it's stolen and the person's like, I want my camera back. It was stolen. And the person's like, well, yeah, it was stolen from you, but it's like mine now. And mm. I have pictures on it and my kids watch it. Or It's almost that exact same thing. Like, mm. what? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know it was stolen, but you don't want to give it back because now you're losing something. Shoot. Tomorrow is, quote, Columbus Day. Fuck no that. better. Of course. But no better quintessential American narrative than the fact that we still celebrate Columbus Day. Well, I definitely don't. But that this country is like, let's celebrate Columbus, who like was like a mass murderer. He inflicted genocide. But this is who we celebrate. So my train of thought is when you're talking about like taking something that's not yours. Like these stories are interconnected. And I think we have to first start there with the stolen land aspect that we are living on stolen land and then now you're listening to 1619 <laughs> i mean i was one of the things that blew my mind is because um she talks about things that you know but i know me personally 
I can't articulate Are that. Are you talking about Hannah Nicole Jones? Yes. I can't articulate those historical points or feelings in my arguments. But one thing that really, well, was a couple of things that knocked me on the ground was just how the whole cotton industry, how the cotton gin just blew up, which then uh, I think we went from like 700,000 enslaved Africans to like 3 million to keep up with the production with the invention of the cotton gin. And then to know that because they need, you know, to make cotton, I think uh, you can only grow like three crops or something like that before the land is depleted. So you need new land and how they went and stole the land from the Native Americans to plant more cotton. And like, just to think that that was okay. Like, it's just mind boggling that this country was built on just theft, theft of human beings from their native lands, theft from lands from their native owners, just stealing, 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 stealing. And there is no acknowledgement of that. Or like I was telling you the other day where the guy was using examples of changing the words to describe historical events. Like, you know, you read it says, oh, the slave master then slept with his his mistress. It's like, no, this kidnapper raped his, the person he kidnapped. Like if you use that language, then it paints a different picture. It mm-hmm. gives you a different feeling. And it's, I'm just still mind. It shapes everything yeah. from there. Yeah. And I'm just mind boggled that, like I said, it's, they would have, <laughs> it's just so much to talk about. Like I mean, even, that's... even the musical aspect of 1619, when she talks about how America had no music. Like if you go back and listen to what they were listening to, they were listening to Italian opera. They were listening to all of these other things. America had no music. And it was black folks that came here that started singing songs out of pain and trauma and hard life that they then started co-opting that to then become... Well, America had music because Native Native American people had well, what music. I'm, I'm, but I know what you're talking yeah. about in terms of the the immigrants. Basically, yes. Well, they had music, but it just wasn't popping. <laughs> <laughs> but in other words, all of this goes back to the fact that we are built on a false narrative. Absolutely. Like lies and Absolutely. mythologies. Absolutely. And... The only way we're able to continue on is through the lies and through the myths. And that's how we're able to maintain the structure of superiority, inferiority, and as Isabel Wilkerson puts it, the caste system of the United States. Well, yeah, that's the fucked up part. Well, yeah, I try to put the shoe on the other foot. And if you build a whole life around illusions and theft and lies, what happens when all of that is taken away? So interesting because when I was working at the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian, there's an educational curriculum on Thanksgiving. The narrative around Thanksgiving is a complete myth and there's so many mythologies around Thanksgiving. But in the United States, we've built all of these values and virtues around Thanksgiving that we have turned it into something where we're like, no, you can't take it away. You can't change the narrative. You can't talk about the brutality and the reality of it because that, you know, to me, Thanksgiving is about family. It's about tradition. It's about, and so it's like we gravitate and hold tight to these narratives, these myths and these lies. So the resistance to the truth is so strong. Yeah. 
Because then also, on the other side, you have black folks and everybody who then will like, I go see my family on Thanksgiving. What's wrong with that? I'm off of work. But people don't even want to talk about it. Suppose you're at a Thanksgiving dinner and you're like, you know what? I actually really want us to sit here and reflect on the real meaning of Thanksgiving and what it actually signifies. And the fact that the coming, the peaceful coming together of Native Americans and the pilgrims was this awesome, peaceful, calm event. That's not the truth. Let's actually look at the truth. People will be like, you're spoiling everything. True. Yeah. And so that's a microcosm for what we're going through right now. Yeah. Is as many people who have, you know, the Party sunlight people. is coming through and there's an awakening and there's a consciousness shift. There are many people who are really resistant because it completely, like if we're to look at the truth, it turns everything on its head. I everything. Think, I think I mentioned this in one of your other podcasts, just talking about the fear of losing the money and the status that they've accumulated. I think off it's of even stronger lot. than that. I think it's the the standing in society, the the myth that there's superiority in whiteness. That it like this this book cast is so strong because it really it says like cast okay, so cast is the foundation. And race is kind of like a characteristic of caste. But caste system really looks at the hierarchy of humanity, which is like really incredibly deep. And she talks about the distinction is the skin color is like there's no movement within the caste. It's fixed. But with other like economics or just other different elements there there can be movement but not like i don't even i don't think i'm explaining it properly so i'm what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna put a link in the show notes about the book cast because it's so powerful one of the chapters is insane because she talks about how dr martin luther king and coretta scott king went to india to speak to the untouchables which are considered like the lowest caste wherever they were visiting and dr king is this major dignitary you know known throughout the world he's there to speak and they introduced him as a fellow untouchable and at first he was a little bit insulted and then he said you're right i am an untouchable like we are the same i am looked at as the lowest cast in the united states so it's really powerful any be to who slight transition recently after the verdict after the verdict on Brianna Taylor's killers, you released an Instagram post and you don't often talk openly, you know, on your social media platforms about how you feel about issues, especially related to your experience with racism, but you had had enough. And so I just want to spark that. What was it that, well, I know what it is, but for the sake of our listeners, can you talk about what was it that was the tipping point in you saying, you know what, I have a voice, I have a platform. Yes, I'm an actor, but you're going to hear my thoughts. You're going to hear about my personal experience being a black man in the United States. I think, well, I mean, it was a mixture of things. Part of it is, I think, it's so much. First of all, it's so much. I think my interesting dynamic that 
I'm looking at now back on, which was extremely a blessing, is I didn't just do acting all my life and then get this type of success. Like I have worked the trenches. And when I say work the trenches, not work the trenches and just being an actor. I have done every single thing which would be considered being patriotic and serving your country. Um, and I think with my success in TV, as I've watched my social media followings go up, I have observed that, or my opinion is that I think that most of my followers feel like I'm this <laughs> magical Negro who has done everything the right way as opposed to other black people who have fallen victim to the obstacles and 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 wrongdoing uh, that's being placed upon them in this country and that somehow because I did everything right I avoided that which then means if black people would just act like me they would have some type of success so you're speaking of being a marine working at uh, Sing Sing being a public servant and working with the New York City Fire Department for 20 years and so you, you're you're saying that you think other people's perception is, oh, he's so patriotic. And that if, if everybody did that, then you also can be a TV star mm -hmm. or your dreams will come true. And what people and, and for a long time, I would do little bits of drops of who because social media, you really don't know who people are. But every once in a while, I would put a post up that reflected my thoughts, my feelings, politi politically, socially, and I would get, I would see this backlash. And for a while, because this was my introduction to social media and being on a hit TV show, the backlash was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but back then I was kind of afraid of disturbing those waters of the fans. And I don't know if it was just turning 50, growing up. I don't know what it was, but at some, per, at some point, I just said, fuck it. I, it got to a point where I really didn't even post anymore. I, I was just so over it. I didn't care. After the Breonna Taylor, and I would say it's not just Breonna Taylor. It was Ahmaud Aubrey. Just so many deaths and incidents that kept piling up. And then with the Breonna Taylor uh, murder... And then I believe the story came out the night before that one guy got convicted of just shooting in a wall, something crazy. And there was no mention in the report of her death or anybody responsible for her death. I went to sleep knowing, okay, yeah, that's just how they do. But when I woke up the next morning, I just had this energy that usually dissipates and I couldn't shake it. And I was like, I have a duty to get on the gram and speak from my experiences and let everybody know all of the ugly things that happen being a lifeguard in a Jewish camp, being in the Marine Corps, being a correction, being a firefighter and sharing the ugly truths that I experienced in all of those jobs and maybe 
that would be some small way of cracking the door open for people who don't believe to now believe that like black folks aren't making this up. Like, why would we make up stories? Well, of- another element of it is the narrative that you can graduate out of racism with economic status, Hell with no. celebrity. with Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. It ain't happening. It's no, 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 no. I mean this, and uh, the, you know why some people believe that? Because they see some black folks who get those things and drown their sorrows in the monies and the Bentleys and the cars. And that doesn't able to... mean that they don't experience racism. No, but they say they don't. You have you have black people who say they don't experience it. And for some reason, they think that having all of these material things, I don't know why they say it. I don't, I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's, this is... That's not even, white supremacy is intense, okay? And it is powerful. And there are survival tactics to living in a society that is riddled with white supremacy. I believe and we that. shall not judge how people survive this sickness. Yes, I understand that, but you can't go out and publicly say you well, maybe you can go out and say I haven't experienced racism. I think that there hasn't really been a thorough conversation about racism, so no matter who you are, if you don't know how to identify it, then it might seem as though well, I personally haven't experienced it because if the thought is that racism is being called a name or it's being, you know, something like that's personalized and you don't look at it from a systemic element of, wow, there are how many million black men imprisoned who are stamped for life with a felony record that changes the entire trajectory of their entire lives? You know, if you look at segregation in education, if you look at housing, if you look at all of these ills from a systemic standpoint, then if you know how to identify it, then you can't say racism doesn't exist. But if you look at it from a personal standpoint of name calling and all these you know, individualized acts, then you might say, hey, that's never happened to me. So it's about an understanding. But I never want to judge how people maneuver this sickness no i mean it's a it's um I've I, done, I did the same thing you it's a it's 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 the art of survival you have to exactly you want to like survive shifting you yeah. have to yeah um, but there's I know a i did when i was a kid there were different things that you know as a grown person you look back and you're like wow i used to blame myself for some of the you know ways that i used to feel ashamed and internalize the messages that the white kids threw at me however as a grown adult i can go back and say no i'm not taking that on okay so i'm i'm i am blaming the system i'm blaming white supremacy i'm blaming racism and i'm not going to be ashamed for the shame that i felt now let me okay so let me ask you this you just said that you're not going to judge people who have to do certain things to survive this demon called racism, right? So when you and I went upstate and I went in, it was like close to midnight. And we it wasn't the, close to midnight. It was just dark. It was, it was okay. Like eight o'clock. Okay, whatever it was, the sun was down. 
and we I go into this gas station and to buy some stuff and the white guy is shaking out of his boots shaking right trembling and I noticed that I have a hoodie and my hood is on and I tell you oh shucks I forgot I should have took my hood off you went crazy at the idea of me saying that I should take my hood off but if taking my hood off is a way of me surviving these the 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 racism and all matter of fact couldn't save me from getting shot why would you be upset at me saying that? I wasn't upset at you saying that I was upset at once again the world that has been created that you can't wear whatever you want to wear you can't you're bald you put your hoodie on because it's your head is cold. That you can't do that. Oh, that, so you that, was, so you were, but I thought you was upset at of me. Of course, about, I wasn't upset at you. Okay. You know me. I get upset. I get yeah. upset because this is the world we live in. It's upsetting. It's upsetting that that's your reality. It's upsetting that that's Khalil, your son, my stepson. That that's his reality. That there are like these rules that you have to abide by to make sure that you come home alive. That's what's upsetting. That you have to make these choices, but it's not at you. It's at the world we live in. It makes me sick. Okay. So now we're off topic. <laughs> we're not off topic. This is all part of the topic. <sighs> so now you can see, like, this just everyday racism can just... <sighs> so that's why my anti-racism... It's like mindfulness and a grounding and breath work. Like that's important because this is traumatizing. Absolutely. I was on a Zoom call with my entire family, all the siblings, that is, the other day. And we were, we didn't go too deep into it, but we were just alluding to all of the racial trauma that we experienced as young people. And... My sister Star said we're, in some instances, lucky to still be here considering the level of violence that they experienced. And it just, it just kind of took me back. It took me back to the beginning and looking at the whole entire lifespan and how this has been ever-present all along. And this is the experience of you and black people and brown people, Native American people, and it's just... Think about it, 40 years of this, 50 years of this, 60 years of this, 70 years of this, like what does this do to your spirit? My goodness. So I just think it's important for the light to be shed on it. Just this moment, like I mentioned on the top of the episode, I've been extremely busy and I'm passionate about doing my part to try to chip away at this system and uproot racism, but this time I had to choose myself, you know, I, it's so overwhelming. And I also dipped in and out of depression, which I'm sure everyone listening has, right? Yeah. How can, you know, you look at certain things where you're like, or certain things that happen to people and say, oh, well, you know, that's some really tough stuff. That's something that needs to be paid attention to. That could really traumatize someone. But racism for some reason is not recognized as completely traumatizing it's very traumatizing and then you think about young people who 
cannot escape it through social media, seeing black people gunned down. Well, it's not even that. Listen, let's let's take the other forms that are not so. It's not just watching your friend get shot, watching you get handcuffed. No, no, I wasn't saying that. No, but I'm just saying that there's other forms of racism that are just as dangerous. And I think when you put black kids in environments where they are not allowed to be because of their skin color and they are put in those same roles that our ancestors had when we were enslaved, which is a role just to highlight master or just to highlight the white race, it infuriates me, especially when I know they are better than that, much better than that. It's just as dangerous as shooting them down in the street. Well, to be a little clearer on my intent on what I was speaking about is just the, as you described before, like there's no escaping. There's not a day that you can just be like, you know what, I just want to turn this off. I just don't, I don't want to have to think about my identity today. I just want to go to the park. I just want to enjoy my day. What I did prior to our conversation is I sent out a question on Facebook to ask for suggestions for topics for you and I. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple that I will bring up just as we are about 15 minutes out from the close. I think this one fits pretty well. It's from Antoine. And he said, do I have to pick and choose when I call something racist? And so I said, can you just elaborate a little bit so I can completely understand, so I can articulate the question right. And he said, black people cannot always bring up the racial issues because the proverbial boy who cried wolf, but systemic racism exists and is ever present. Do we call it out every day or pick and choose when to call it out? I mean, the short answer is pick and choose your battles. You can't win them all. And I will say from my experience, when I was young, I tried to fight, I tried to fight every single injustice and it is exhausting and yes even though you don't win part of you feel good about fighting and you didn't win there can be an argument for that but as i've gotten older um i've learned to reserve my energy and manage my energy and for the longevity of your soul and spirit i believe you have to pick and choose your battles and just because You might not speak up about something that is racist. Doesn't mean that you are complicit or samboing. It is just taking a few steps back for the next charge. Do the rope-a-dope. What? If you know Ali, Muhammad Ali, he used to do the rope-a-dope. What's that? Which means he he would get pummeled on the ropes and let the person wear themselves out. And then he would come out with energy and knock them out. Oh. But it looked like he was getting beat. And he so was strategy. It was a strategy, yeah. Rope a dope racism. Mm. How about this from Chuck? How to respond to the statement, I'm not racist, I have black friends. <laughs> I wish you all could see his face right yeah, now. Yeah, there's no response to that. Just how to respond to that? Walk away. <laughs> Just walk yeah, away. Yeah, walk away. You're in the middle of a conversation. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, just deuces. That's it. Yeah. I'm not like, <laughs> that's like the slave master. I love Jimmy B. He, Jimmy B's his slave. I love him like a family member. Fuck out of here. 
Lord of mercy. Okay. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh my goodness. So one of my actual questions is, we are coming up on a colossal election. Civil war. <laughs> colossal election, and there's so much tied up in it. This, what is coming up on the election is the perfect example of how white people feel when they have to give up stuff that they got by theft, by evilness, by hate, by unjust laws. It's the same shit. You see how terrified he is? Can you elaborate? It's 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 almost like I said what about the fire department. Well, not just fire department, Marines, but specifically in the fire department. When I saw the people I were working with, I knew they were a representation of the majority of white people in America. I knew that. And I just I just knew that. So watching this man who is the president, watching how he's reacting to a fair process of voting and putting in office who we want, he is now attacking all of that because he doesn't want to give up the power, which he may have gotten illegally. Mm. And that right there is the same example of how the majority of white people in this country feel about having to give up certain things that they have gotten because of unjust laws and practices and how the country was built in a way that they benefited from certain things. So. The same way he's going crazy mm. is the same way the majority of this country will go crazy when certain things are certain. Well, we see yeah. you remove a statue. They feel like you just cut off their arm. Oh, it's not even a family member. Oh, my God. That's history. Like it's it's the same. That's what's going to happen. They're losing their mind. Yeah. I remember driving down the street on my way to one of my classes when I was in college and I was listening to this story on NPR about how there were ships that came from China that had been to North America before Columbus, before any of the Spanish, the Dutch, the English had touched down on any of the soil. And the people calling in were losing their minds, losing it. The very notion that all of these myths and lies in this narrative could be inaccurate or not the truth, they were going crazy. Well, isn't it ironic? These are the same people who want to believe and uphold the history of this country. But then when they find out the true history of this country, they want to disregard it. Mm-hmm. I think we've just lied for so long. There have been such deep, deep lies that we're literally conditioned to think this way. And so it's very difficult to try to make your way out of that. Well, it's almost like in the 1619 Project, when she, you know, the episode three, where she's talking about just the evolution of music in America that black culture has influenced music so much that it almost you you look at it as American 
but void of its blackness. Mm. So then it becomes, no, this is ours. But there was black contribution to that. Mm. But it it, it kind of, I can't explain it. You really have to listen to the episode because it was so profound. One example, she just talked about how this white guy saw a black guy brushing a horse and singing. And he went and just stole it, created a show, and it took off. Mm-hmm. Which led to the whole Jim Crow movement. Well, if you think about music and music rights and black artists fighting for the rights to yeah, music I, and just appropriation and co-op, like it's but I, but that's why they feel like no, my my grandfather did, no, your grandfather stole that shit. But we don't hear that part. We just did. Your grandfather invented the blues or country. Mm-hmm. No, motherfucker. Black folks did that, but that has been erased. So you can kind of see why they're so, so just bubbling with anger and hate because they really believe you are taking something that their family and their ancestors invented because they also have been stripped of the true history. Back to the election. In addition to everything you just described about, you know, Trump feeling as though his power is threatened in the way that he's reacting and inciting his people to act and react in the same way. What are your thoughts about the attacks on Kamala Harris as a woman who who identifies with being black and Indian and just the attacks on her as a woman? Because one of the questions put forth was about racism and sexism. So I would like to, you know, the intersections of racism and sexism. Any black woman or black man that does not fit into the box of how we are supposed to act, which was created back when they enslaved us, is a threat to them. So if you act outside of that box of being composed, of being mild-mannered, of serving them, of agreeing with them. Anything outside of that box, you are now given all of the worst adjectives in the dictionary. Name one black woman or man who is doing something outside of that box that is accepted. You can't. And if they out act outside of that box and it's not for the benefit of white people, they are called evil. They're called dogs. They're called mad. They're called unworked. They're they're just, it's all of these dog whistle words. We've heard them before. But here's the tricky thing, the crazy thing. When they were putting us on the slave blocks to sell us, what were they saying? They're the hardest worker. Look at these thighs. Look at their teeth. Look at that. Oh, he's been told to knock down buildings and pull trains and he will do all the work without any. Those things encouraged the slave master. They wanted the most hardworking, the most strongest physically, mentally. They wanted those for their to work their fields. But if you take those same attributes and use them to uplift yourself, uplift your people and do good for you, then those attributes are now darkness, evil. Hmm. They want to take over the country. Look how she talks. She's foaming at the mouth. All of those things then become evil. But let some black person get up there and foam at the mouth in support of Trump. Oh my God, they'll get a standing ovation. (laughs) 
So I don't buy into those dog whistles at all. Please. I mean. Well, I think it's, it's important ridiculous. to look at the the messaging and how that can impact women and girls. It's un- It's so sad and extremely unfortunate when I look at the treatment of black women in this country. It's really sad because they are no doubt the backbone. They bear all of it. And it it goes back to that sick mindset. I, I really, everything goes back to the sick mindset of slavery because... Don't have a threshold for pain. Yeah, to think, I mean, just the idea that you can just rape a woman, do whatever you want. She's supposed to still serve you with good intent. And you can, like, you think that's the way the world was built? And it's that same mindset that still happens now. They think women are only supposed to serve. And if you speak on behalf of your human rights, what you want done with your body, what you want done with your family, if it's not serving them, it's wrong. And that is disgusting. It, it really is. It's like... It's it's mind-boggling that just not even from a white, black perspective, just as a human being, what makes you think you could treat somebody bad and not think that shit's going to come back? Like, are you crazy? Especially the person you depend on for most for, for nurturing, for uplifting. Like, women nurture and uplift and all of these men that go out and be successful and then you come back and dog them out. Like, the karma is going to come back. Woo! I pray, and you know what? That's one of the things I realized being an actor. I love women directors. I prefer them over men. They just well, women leaders. Period. Well, I say, I say directors, but then my next thing was going to be, I would love a woman president. I would love a woman mayor. I mean, it was on trending or somewhere where they say, oh, if we had women leaders, there'd be less war. I actually believe that. So do I. One hundred and. 50,000%. Yeah, I actually believe that. I don't, but that's my thing. Where did that, where did that come from? Where did what come from? Where did, where did this belief or this sickness that um, women can just be treated as serving us? I mean, you just explained it a minute ago. I mean, it goes way back. Yeah, I know. Like literally, but, if you talk about uh, many Native American societies they were matrilineal societies and colonialism destroyed that yes well that as well as you know many african societies i'm sure well that's that was part of my point my point is you can't think that all of these things that were practiced during slavery and colonization all over the world will not trickle into your family that's the whole premise of the work that we're doing is trying to put an end to the intergenerational trauma. No, but for some reason, white women feel that, and, and I remember we talked about it before, that their husband or white men in their families can go out and commit all of these atrocities, and they've somehow accepted, well, they benefit from it, mm-hmm. and at the same time accept the treatment in exchange for the benefit of being in these neighborhoods and these schools and these clubs you know but it's still wrong well it's it's but as they, my mother says profound intentional ignorance yeah because you know to them what's worse than that the black woman 
It's just so I can't. It's just this is crazy. Well, I like where we're headed, so we can look at you know positive but, elements. But of that's one of my arguments. Converse. That's one of my. I'm speaking. Sorry, Mr. President. I'm speaking. Oh, don't. Well, see how I, I automatically assume you think Mr. President Vice President, is being Mr. Trump. Vice President. Call I'm me. Speaking. I'm speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I like where we're headed. You know, turning the corner to some of the proactive things that we do in our lives, some of the work that we do to resist racism in our spirits and try to practice self-care and be aware of how it impacts us. You know, I, before the pandemic hit, was literally about one week out from rolling out my first retreat for black women and women of color to create a space for healing, to be together, to be able to express ourselves truthfully, authentically, without the white gaze, without outside influences, to be able to look at the infliction of trauma and how we can move forward in the spirit of radical self-care, radical self-love. What's the difference between radical self-care and self-love and just self-care and self-love? Radical is on a different level. It's radical. It means you have to be extremely deliberate. You have to be very intentional. You have to make it your priority. You know, the conversation around self-care is like, oh, I'm gonna go get a manicure, a pedicure. No, we're talking about like being able to look at the intergenerational trauma that lives inside of us and how it has literally like broken us up as women, how colorism impacts us how it divides us, how it fuels and sows division and hatred and animosity and literally like it breaks up the solidarity and we're so much stronger together. So it's very intentional. It's like getting through the hard stuff so that there is a liberation because it's ugly, you know what I mean? But you have to go to those ugly places in order to get to the bright places of harmony and peace. There's no such thing as an arrival to that. It's a constant practice, but it's to kind of look at, okay, what do we have in our power to be able to resist? We've always resisted. And that's an interesting element too, is the narrative of resistance, the power of the fact that we come from these legacies and are still here. The endurance, like the fortitude, it's insane. And I think we also need to equally focus on that. And also, you know, black joy and being like, you know what? I am going to go to the park today. I'm going to enjoy myself and live my life and be able to somehow like hold a shield to this stuff that you see and experience every day out in the world. So my beloved friend Kahan posted her idea for a question or a topic, the liberating power of love. And so that's where my mind goes, is in the solidarity of one thing this moment is doing is bringing us together, really. Also, you know, when we look at, you know, the dark side, it's there. It's been there all along. But on the bright side, it's bringing us together. You're in a group real estate initiative, like where 
People want to pull their resources and pull their money and buy land and be like, you know what? We need to go back to this collective way of being. We're not from an individualistic society, like historically speaking. The community is so central to existence and we've been broken away from that. Our cultures have been shattered. And so it's like reclaiming that, like coming back to the collective and saying, we have to work together. We've been separated. You know, colonialism and racism has separated us, had us thinking that it's all about us and the narrative of the United States and like the prevailing notion is that you you make it on your own, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's bullshit. And we need to go back to coming together. And I think there's something sacred and powerful about coming together. So I really, really, when Kahan wrote that on my Facebook, The Liberating Power of Love, I just felt infused and enlightened and empowered. And I think that's where I want to stand and be rooted is in that empowerment. Like I can talk all day about racism and its impact and that's the work that I do and it's ugly and it's hard, but I really want personally and in our family is us being rooted in the power of who we are. The roots of the spirit. Look who we come from. Hey, I'm 100% down with that. So what comes to mind when you hear the liberating power of love? Loving my family, loving my people. But, you know, I don't want to go into a long tirade again, but we have, when people say that, I, I understand that. But you got to remember, there were moments in history where black folks were liberated in love. We had our own businesses. We had our own land. We had our own little communities and what happened hate burned it down oh i and, agree and, and now and then that hate also led to us then hating each other and being divisive but let's not forget we didn't start out like that even with all the trauma we had when we came to this country being enslaved we still loved each other and tried to do group economics but that was perceived as a threat and it was attacked. Exactly. So even as we go down this road of again, of being awakened and now going back to group economics, you can best believe it will get attacked again. It's an excellent point. But it is like looking at our spirits and looking at our families and cherishing each other and have, holding sacred space for each other within our homes and you know within our bigger community our extended family i think that that is powerful the other night when i was on a group zoom with my siblings it just felt really great i just felt uh very empowered to be able to be together and that we have this very strong bond and we have a lot of power in that bond so that's kind of a microcosm to how i see like the liberating power of love these tricky kids my siblings, even though I'm a tough feek, my roots of being a tricky kid, like we are unstoppable. I just say that to testify to the power of love and what that can bring about in our lives. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And I agree with you 100% that the power of love is actually even threatening. So that can come with its own set of dangers or consequences i mean just look at the power of love of black people uniting and helping elders get to the polls to vote that was deemed unconstitutional they tried to break up that 
Thanks. So black people have always been loving, have always been showing love, and it is constantly undermined and attacked. But it doesn't mean we stop. No, but I just don't want it to be like, love is the answer. Mm, I don't think that, okay. no. We've been, we've been doing that, showing each other love, helping each other, coming together, you know, creating homes. And, and we have to maintain that. We have to maintain that. Like, uh, with it, what comes to mind is like when we look at Breonna Taylor and how her case was handled completely different, like, or not her case necessarily, but the reaction to her murder was handled completely different. Like, in the midst of the murders of others, black men in the moment, like, as a black woman, the attention that was put on her murder was. A fraction of what was put on the men and so it's not like it's very unfortunate because all of them are just as devastating but we have to look at how important it is to recognize the way black women are treated in this country and to really step it up and be like no black women deserve the utmost respect regard humanity it is enraging well, just like I told you as a Muslim, we believe, you know, in the Quran, it says paradise lies at the feet of the woman. Now, you can go think on that and marinate on what that means. Paradise lies at the feet of the woman. So I'm assuming you're, you're talking to the listeners because, you know, that's how you pulled me in. <laughs> when you told me that, I was like, OK, we're on to something. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. That's a great place to end. Thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. Um, to be continued. All right. Continue. You have a beautiful, wonderful day filled with joy. Likewise, my soul sister. I love you. I <laughs> love you too.